With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity uh, segment. And oh my gosh, my guest today, I love working with America's Got Talent. Thank you, AGT. It's great to have these fantastic contestants as they move all the way on to maybe winning. But this guest, it was very interesting. When I saw his background, I said, holy cow, I've seen him before in Pittsburgh a couple years ago. And I love the illusionists. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Colin Cloud of NBC's America's Got Talent and the illusionists. Colin, thanks for calling. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So tell me why America's Got Talent. I mean, the illusionists is one, an amazing group of people. They are the most talented magicians, I believe, in the world. The way they perform all over the world, and they're so exciting. And, I mean, you, you, why America's Got Talent? Tell me why you did that. Well, I think, uh, obviously, being being uh, a Brit myself and, you know, having the, uh, the good fortune of performing in Illusionist, which is already, as you said, a well-established show, is great. Uh, but I think... You know, America's Got Talent as a show over the last few years has been growing in that it now does actually do a great job of raising the profile of uh, excellent talent. And I think to just have that opportunity to raise my profile so that when people come and see The Illusionist Live, you know, they already know who you are, what you do. They've already bought into that. So when you step up on stage, they're ready to just experience it like a real person. And uh, I think the stuff I do is always much better live anyway, as much as I love doing it on this show. It's uh, the sort of thing that when you're actually there and a part of it, it's always much more fun. Well, I absolutely agree, Colin. And and you'll build your brand. I mean, the illusionist is a brand. If you win America's Got Talent, you will become the brand. And that may be one of the headliners of the illusionist. Even though you're one of the headliners, it'll become like they're coming to see Colin. And then also you're looking at down the line, continuing to grow as a magician. So that, that's that's yeah, a key component. I mean, I think, yeah, and I love performing here in America. American audiences are always great fun. So I think you know, the fact that they know who I am and what I do, it just uh, yeah, it all it all works together perfectly. Well, absolutely. So tell us this journey, uh, going to America's Got Talent, going through the process, and going w- with the judges because you're not used to being judged, right? You're getting judged by your peers with the illusionists, the fans, and then uh, the your uh, fellow uh, magicians. But putting yourself on that stage especially live at times with that those tough mm-hmm. tough judges how did you handle all that yeah i mean uh, i think performing live is what i've always done so i'm used to that that pressure outside probably when you're then aware 15 million people are watching you live as well that adds you know more excitement but i've always felt the more people who are watching the more i actually enjoy doing it obviously the judges in the last few years have seen you know a multitude of different talents and the bar now is at an all-time high especially this year in the competition with so many amazing people with amazing backgrounds, history, stories. You know, it's, uh, it's a tough year to be in the competition, but ultimately I just I love getting on that stage and sharing with America exactly what it is I do because now I'm the only magician, performer type person left in the competition. You know, that in itself is, is quite daunting given that this time last year there were many more. So it's, uh, yeah, that's got pressure added to it as well. But the judges have been enjoying what I'm doing uh, as of the Americans. And, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm excited to see what they think of tonight's performance. You're carrying the banner, Colin. That's the key thing. You're carrying yeah. the banner for <laughs> magicians right now. And uh, 
I'm and, I, and, and I'm an illusionist fan. So there you go. So there goes two things. You definitely uh, turned me to that with the amazing talent that you work with every day. So what can you tell us? I'm sure the preparation for tonight. How exciting it is that, uh, for this performance. You've been preparing big time, haven't you, for it? To wow yeah, the judges. Uh, because the show is in, uh, is in Hollywood, uh, I'm very closely connected with the Hollywood Magic Castle, which is the uh, sort of home for magic, I would say, around the world. And I spoke to them last week, and they very kindly allowed me to be a surprise guest in their main show this week, testing some of the material that I'm going to be doing tonight. So, you know, the stuff I do, I can't really, you know, singers can practice singing, dancers can, you know, stand in front of a mirror and spend hours refining that. But with what I do, because it, it relies on people and engaging people, the only way I could rehearse was actually to get out there and, and do this with, with real people. Uh, otherwise, it would be leaving it all for the, the evening of the show. So uh, all week I've been in there uh, testing, refining, tweaking, and uh, obviously on the show you only get a certain amount of time. The stuff I do... With it being slightly more cerebral, sometimes it takes slightly longer. So that in itself has been quite a challenge to cut it down to the, the allotted time slot to make sure that it still makes sense, that it's concise, focused, uh, but doesn't lose any of the entertainment. So, yeah, a good, a good solid challenge. But thankfully, I have that resource of the Magic Castle there to go and actually practice. <laughs> That's great for you, for sure, and some of the other contestants might not have that. And th- about going live in this process, that's that's daunting because I don't. I think this is new to America's Got Talent, going in live live instead of, you know, taping it and then, you know, people kind of say, oh, we know what happened or something gets leaked. Nothing's leaked. It's tonight. It's big time. And and, and all the... Oh, no, all, yeah, it's yeah. 100% live. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're currently all in our dressing rooms at the moment, getting prepared, doing all of that hair and makeup stuff that needs to that needs to happen. And, uh, yeah, then we start, we do the dress rehearsal, uh, but the judges are nowhere near the stage at that point. The dress rehearsal is literally for the camera guys to, to see where we're going to be standing, what we're going to be doing, so they get a feel for it to make sure they capture all the key moments tonight when the judges and the audience are in. So it's basically standing in an empty theater with the cast, uh, sorry, the crew, rather, uh, and uh, we go through it, and uh, then that's pretty much it. We wait until tonight, 6 p.m. L.A. time, so uh, that's 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And, yeah, it, it really is live, so at that point, anything <laughs> could, could happen. So kind of take uh, our the journey of who's left, Colin. Um, not the names, but the number of contestants left, because some people, you know, have watched America's Got Talent. You, you, the summer gets to you, right? We're now finally in the fall, and people want to yeah, yeah, so catch this you. Is the final, this is the final semi. This is the semi-final, the last semi-final. So essentially five acts have already now made it to the, the live final. And tonight of the... 12 acts performing, five will go through. So this is the toughest part of the competition. So tonight, um, I'm the only act uh, in the show who is you know, speaking and doing any sort of, I'm doing the mind reading stuff, magic stuff, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the other acts are, are all singers and dancers this evening, but they are singers and dancers, you know, at the height of their talent. So it's, it is tough competition. Already making it through, there's a comedian, there's a girl called Sarah, uh, who has does a, an act with uh, dogs, right? I'm sure you've seen. Yes. She, uh, yeah. Chase, the, the singer-songwriter, he's through Darcy, uh, the ventriloquist, uh, all already through, and uh, Evie Clare as well, the young singer who is phenomenal. So those five are through to the final, and then tonight, the final five will get picked, and that will be the, the ten that are in the live show live final next Tuesday. Do you think there's a lot of camaraderie with the contestants, especially because you've spent so much time together? This is the first time ever they've kind of put this group and made it a huge field. It's almost like more than March Madness where there's so many cut downs before it was like less and now, but you're getting to know these contestants. You're seeing them all the time go through and you're cheering for them because not everyone's going to be eliminated. Do you feel uh, a lot of friendships have developed through this process you've gone through? Very much so. I mean, there are a few big groups, uh, like the dance groups are bigger, so they obviously know each other already. But then when you're a solo act, so myself, Sarah, Chase, you know, I'd say I've gotten pretty close uh, through this process. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the acts are, you know, eight years old. So then, you know, you'll see them in passing, but you, you get to know the parents really well. And the kids are always playing. So <laughs> it's, it is good fun. And uh, yeah, but backstage, you know, everyone's really positive. And the fact that 
really every act, as much as I'm saying the singers and dancers, every act is so unique and so different that as much as it is a, a competition show, you know, you, you can't really compete against people who do something drastically different to what you do. So as much as we know that that is the point of the show, it's like, well, it's now, it's now up to America to decide whether or not they love what you do, and it's, it's really over to them. So as much as we all want to do well, and we're all very supportive of each other, I think that you kind of forget at times that it's a competition because, yeah, we, we all get along perfectly. All right. Well, fantastic. And that's what I love about America's Got Talent, the stories and all the major things. People need to tune in tonight. Uh, you were saying 6 p.m. Uh, uh, in L.A., so it'll be 9 p.m. Eastern, the live show, oh, wow. America's Got Talent. That's Pittsburgh's three hours. Uh, everyone tune in. We're going to be uh, – che- uh, everyone needs to check it out. Let's cheer for Colin, and especially if you're an illusionist fan. Let's see him move on to the finals. And where's the best place we can find information on you, Colin? Where can we check you out? Oh, if you type in Colin Cloud uh, on any internet search engine, I am sure you'll get uh, the first thing on my website, and you can find out all about me and what I do with clips and stuff of what I've been up to on there. So just type in ColinCloud.com, and you'll find everything. Well, it's amazing to get to talk to you. It's like almost like the Super Bowl in the locker room the night the night of the show. Yeah, I appreciate you take, so. taking the time to come on the show. Best of luck. We'll be rooting for you, and let's see you bring Thank home you, the, the win. All right, take care. Thanks. Take care, Neil. Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm so excited to welcome the program. Chris Hansen from Crime Watch Daily. Chris, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. I, I'm I'm doing fantastic. Chris, did you ever think when you were became an investigative journalist, you would be able to help so many people. I really commend you for some of the stuff you've done with child predators and your other investigative journalism. When you first started in this, did you think that you could make such a difference? Well, you know, when I first started, I just hoped that I'd get to, you know, work at Channel 7 Action News in Detroit and that'd be the pinnacle of my career, which which is a fine place to work and I'd be happy doing it. But, no, I, I, I had a lot of lucky breaks and and um and been able to get to this point and, and i think crime watch daily is a perfect show for me it's tailor-made for me we get to go out and do all kinds of different investigations explore crimes get in the mind of criminals and hear the voice of victims and i think by doing that uh we can prevent a lot of other people from becoming victims whether it's of child predators or you know, killers or con men or you know whatever whatever's going on and, and, and being on an hour a day five days yeah. a week allows yeah. us the opportunity to have a really long leash to to you know get into some of these cases and you're right when you think about getting in the mind of a criminal it's so important to understand those things especially yourself and the show but also the, your viewers because you never know what that criminal's thinking so you always have to be on a lookout for those situations where people are going to really take advantage of you. Exactly. And so, you know, we, we have a great team here and, um, you know, beyond in 208 markets across the country, we have 208 newsrooms, which are feeding us information and supporting us. So it's, it's like having our own news network in some ways, but also, you know, having, having, you know, people like, um, Elizabeth Smart is a special correspondent uh, on the show, and um, you know she's there's a case coming up uh, that of Daisy Coleman, who young woman who was um, uh, sexually assaulted, claims oh, to have wow. been sexually assaulted by a guy who sort of got got away with it, and and when she does these interviews with these people. Um, it, they relate to her. She's got a level of compassion that other victims can relate to. And imagine, you know, what she went through. And how most people would have crawled up in a ball and hidden someplace or become a drug addict, you know. And, and she, she is, you know, an amazing human being. And, and, and folks just open up to her. And she's become a gone-fine, you know, correspondent in her own right. That, that's great to have someone on board like that that has gone through what she's gone through and be able to talk to people and understand and feel their pain when talking to victims. Well, exactly right. And, you know, we do, you know, the Hanson versus Predator segments, which, uh, you know, we'll have more of this season. And, um, you know, we've got some new uh, franchises, one called a Badge of Honor, where we recognize cops around the country who have gone above and beyond the call of duty. And in, in, in our next first, uh, you know, episode, 
we will take a look at the case of two New York City police officers who are on duty in uh, Times Square. And um, the height of activity, people coming out of theaters, people going into restaurants and bars, people just milling about. And that guy drives up and throws into their police van. And we actually have the surveillance video of this. What appears to be a bomb. Lights are flashing. It's ticking. And, and the guys could have ditched the van and run away. They could have done a lot of things. But what they did was looted it, looted it and got it away, the van away from the population center. And, and you know, they thought they would die within a matter of seconds, but they were going to do the best they could to get this bomb, what they thought was a bomb, out of Times Square. And when you take a look at that and you explore the relationship between the two cops, a sergeant who grew up in Afghanistan, yeah. you know, whose experience with cops there growing up was, was you know, involved in corruption. And, and his vow to become a New York City cop and because uh, he was going to do it the right way. And he's in, in a van with, you know, a 25, 26-year-old kid from uh, Long Island. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating stuff. And we have the time to explore that. And no one else is doing that right now, by the way. And yeah, and what do you say has been the success of the show? Is that fact of really investigating these things and not being afraid to touch certain topics that sometimes the mainstream media won't want to cover, right? In certain ways, it sounds like Chris and the goal of yours. Well, yeah. you know, we're 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 devoted. Yeah, right. We're devoted to crime and law enforcement, and so you know, we can take on these cases, and we also have an hour a day, hour a day to um, you know, to focus on one topic should we choose to do so. I mean, this isn't just a, you know, we don't do two-minute stories. and You know, we do major, you know, takeouts on very important cases across the country. And we also get to do, you know, passion projects. You know, last season I wanted to, to dig into the, um, sort of the heroin epidemic uh, uh, across the country. And we did that and devoted an entire hour to it. And not just, you know, busting heroin dealers or talking to addicts, but to, to take a look at what it takes to run a successful recovery uh, operation, and and, it, and and we looked at human trafficking, and we we're on sting operations to expose the traffickers, and so, you know, to do that and and uh, have the impact we've had is is really been a great opportunity. I agree, uh, and that's what I talked about the good you're doing because p- covering these stories, telling people about this, I never imagined this could happen. Will make the victims before they become victims look and say, oh. I better be careful because the decisions think about, you know, in the news today, just kids and the, especially teenagers and young adults that are making these poor decisions that are ruining their lives in so many ways. And parents have no idea how to, oh, yeah. to talk to them, to, 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 to tell them, don't post that on social media. Don't get in conversations with people you don't know. And all these things that you've highlighted since you've been an investigative journalist now, Guess what? You're waking them up in a longer segment and understand this to say, be careful. It's a scary world out there, right? Look, at the end of the day, I think what we do is, you know, raise awareness and in some cases create a dialogue that, that you know, didn't exist before. And um, I think that helps people. And, and I also think that the way we produce these segments, whether it's Crime Watch Daily or whether, you know, it's my other show on Investigation Discovery Kill Instinct, you know, we take people inside these cases. They they see things they wouldn't normally see. They hear things they wouldn't normally hear, and we get to get into detail about them. Well, awesome, fantastic, and so everyone needs to check you out. Where's the best place we can check check you out, Chris and stuff? Every day, um, check your local TV listings. Every day, yeah. and if you, yeah, or you can very simply go to CrimeWatchDaily.com, and there's a place right near the top of the website where you can put in your. Um, your uh, uh, zip code, and it'll tell you exactly where and when we're on. But we're we're on in every TV market across the country. And you like how it, it, you're walking around, Chris, and people have watched it at different times. That's nice that you're on every market in the country because you never know when it's going to air and who you're going to be able to touch. And then people just go yeah. to the website and they can check all that stuff out as well. And uh, the terrible thing that we have to look out for is you said these these uh, these pedophiles watch. You recommend parents really just really stay in tune to their computers, their cell phones, and all those things, right, Chris? Just to make sure they're monitoring these kids because the, oh, the, the, the brains. Well, just you know, imagine when yeah. we started doing those when yeah. we started doing those investigations. You know, we really had you know uh, decreasing chat rooms and all the audio. Today, there's been an explosion in the number of social platforms. And so, you know, what I say to parents today is that, you know, 
the cell phone at the end of the day should go on the family charging station in the kitchen and not on the nightstand, and you eliminate, you know, half the problem right there. Absolutely. Because a lot of the dangers happen at night, right? When the predators are on, and they're just uh, yeah. knowing that. It's just, it just, it just constant, it's constant access. You know, you, you need to turn it off at some point. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Chris. Best of luck and continued success in all your shows, okay? Thanks for calling. Well, th- thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take all care, right, Chris. Take Bye-bye. Care. Bye-bye. See ya. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity chef Jock Pepin. Jock, thanks for calling. How are you? How are you doing, chef? Okay, how are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, chef. You must be just absolutely amazed uh, when you started doing TV a long time ago and to see how popular cooking shows are in America now. I mean, it's just unbelievable how it's grown, hasn't it? Oh boy, that that's that's just amazing, yes. And uh, I mean, you know, I've been in the kitchen almost seventy years now. So uh, I tell you, when I came to America, which was over fifty years ago, the food world was very, very small. I mean, uh, nineteen sixty, I met Julia Child and James Beard, and Craig Claiborne was just started at the New York Times, and this were the the trinity of cooking in the, in America. And uh, uh, frankly, you know, it was another world altogether. The food world was very, very small, you know, so uh, very different now. Now we are genius. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing with the cable news and cable shows and all the different things and the cookbooks, especially how many you've authored and had such great success. You probably didn't imagine that when you came to the United States, for sure. Your success, but also the success of people teaching other people how to cook. Yeah, the whole thing changed. I mean, it used to be that uh, uh, you know, a good mother wanted her child to marry a, a lawyer or an architect or a doctor, certainly not a cook, you know. But we were very, very low on the social scale. But all of that has changed now, so I'm very lucky. <laughs> so this book is exciting for you in Grandfather's Lessons because, again, you get to work with your granddaughter. So tell us, you know, the specifically how excited you are about Grandfather's Lessons and it's coming out now. So tell us about the book. Well, you know, I have 30 books, like, and I did uh, I did 13 series of 26 shows with KQED, the PBS station in San Francisco, and I did several series with my daughter, Claudine, when she was still in college. And, uh, and uh, so uh, kind of a tradition in our family. So now I decided to do it with my granddaughter, who is 13 years old, and to... Uh, to have a means of communicating with her. I mean, you know, how do you speak with that? With a teenage now, it's a different world. Uh, you know, so but I think in the kitchen and cooking together, I take her to the garden, show her the, you know, the different herbs and vegetables. We went foraging together. We go pick up eggs just behind the chicken. So, uh, you know, it's a way of, uh, as I say, of, of being together, of communicating. And when you speak, then you speak about other things, about school and so forth. So it's not only cooking together, but it's definitely eating together, spending time around the table and, and talking to and I even sure there how to set up the table properly, you know, how to uh, to behave properly at the table. Uh, so we had fun doing it together. And that's got to be great. I mean, to work with your granddaughter, teach her all those lessons. Now, did she understand cooking when you started working with her at first? It was a, or was it really a teaching process? You said especially communicating with this generation compared to your daughter's generation. Was it different in certain ways? Give us some like a little bit of uh, how you kind of communicate with her to teach her your 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 expertise and stuff. Well, you have to realize that my daughter does a lot of cooking too, and that her father happened to be a chef as well. So. But the wow, whole family, wow. so since she was a kid, she was involved in cooking one way or the other. I remember one time she was like two years old. Uh, she At that point, they live in Colorado Springs, and I was there. And I took her out for breakfast in a little restaurant. And uh, I said, what do you want? So she wanted some blueberry with pancake, whatever. And I said, oh, you like blueberry? She said, yeah, they have a lot of uh, uh, antioxidants. I said, a lot of white. <laughs> 
I mean, she's like two years old. <laughs> so uh, yes, she was. So she's been involved in the in the kitchen as well uh, to a certain extent, you know. But uh, it's different cooking with me because we have fun together. For sure, for sure. So tell us some of the recipes and things that we should expect in the, uh, with your, your granddaughter and uh, grandfather's lessons. What should we expect? Well, there is about 80 recipes in the book, but there is about close to 40 of them. Uh, under the recipe, you see uh, a sign. If you want to know how to do it, go to what your laptop and so forth. So we did about 40 tapes of those recipes demonstrating how to do it. Uh, you know, so that, that's fun, too, uh, for doing a little cake or, or uh, a certain way of doing a fish. Uh, because, I mean, some are fun recipe, but some of them are pretty serious. I mean, I'm not looking down. I made meringue. I made uh, a lot of the different little things in chocolate because she loves dessert. I show a whole series of doing, uh, uh, you know, doing decoration uh, like with, uh, you know, making a rose with the skin of uh, a tomato and things like that. But, you know, you see a strawberry shortcake. She has her hand in it. She does it under my direction. Likewise, when we did meringue. So it was kind of lesson taken back, and I wanted to uh, to understand the cooking, to feel comfortable with her, and certain recipes so that she could do it for her mother or her father or for me. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. And then, then once you see it, how she developed since you uh, did the cookbook together, uh, would you say she is she on her way to continue the family lineage of uh, of cooking? Well, no, you know she's thirteen years old, so she's interested in a lot of other things in life. <laughs> I don't really think she's going to become a chef. Really? I mean, you know, one day she wants to be an engineer, another day she wants to be a doctor. So I don't know what she's going to do. But all I know is that those those memory that we had of cooking together, those memory of doing menus together and having fun in the kitchen, hopefully that will stay with her the rest of her life. And it's a kind of legacy, you know. No, most definitely, Chef. Think about the, the opportunity to uh, remember this of working with your grandfather, the famous chef, and to to and your memories with your granddaughter. That's fantastic. So, where can people pick up the book? Where's the best place, uh, Chef? We can pick up the book. Where can we go? Well, the the book is coming out tomorrow, actually. So it's going to be available in most bookstore. But uh, we did it also for Fila Tab. Uh, you know, because I'm doing a series of different uh, decorative uh, spoons, fork, mug, plate, platter, with Siolatab, with the decoration of my drawing, chicken, and so forth. So Siolatab is going to, uh, on their website, you would be able to see those, uh, those DVD that we've done uh, with Shari, you know, which are in the book. Excellent. Wow. Okay. Everyone needs to check you out. Uh, best of luck, Chef. You keep going. How many books do you think you're going to write in your career? Can you keep going after this? Or are you already working on another one? Is that I usually? don't know. <laughs> this is like number 31 or 32. So, yep. you know. You keep going. As long as I'm hungry, I'm cooking. <laughs> you love cooking and you're living your passion, and that's fantastic. So, thanks again for calling, Chef, and best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. See ya. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program. We all know her from Legends and Fall and many other uh, projects. Julia Orman. Julia, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're really excited about this latest project, and... uh, and always interesting things when we talk about rememory, and uh, you're with Peter Dink, Dink, Dinklage in this too. So it's a, it's got, it's a great great cast of characters in this uh, this film, right? Tell us about it. It was really good fun. It was a very interesting piece. Um, it's a film that's about a piece of technology that is invented that can take you back into the accurate events that you uh, that are your memory. Um, and uh, the inventor of the machine dies mysteriously, and Peter, the char- Peter's character, um, um, helps my character, who's the widow, work out what has happened. 
and that's an interesting thing if we can go back, right? If we could decide, we could take a go back in time and look at things and remember things that we forget because we forget so many things, Julia, in our lives that we can go back to a specific point okay. in a sp- specific time period and say, when would we want to go back? When would you want to go back, Julia? To what time in your life to remember something that you might have forgot? I think I came away from the whole experience of the story instead of feeling, no, I don't think it's a good idea to go back. Um, uh, the There was part of it that the machine could become very addictive, that you could become locked in time going back to one sort of happy memory and that dilutes every other memory. Um that it could maybe serve certain purposes in terms of other people, other people looking at your memory, but uh, it, it kind of left you with a lot of respect for the human processing uh, of events. And it, but at the same time, it also it also kind of really brought home the fact that what we are going through as humans isn't necessarily accurate. And even if you do go back to accurate memory, you don't necessarily get full truth. And uh, tell us about your character. You were talking a little bit about it, but a little bit more of how you prepare for this character. Well, she's um, she's a mom, and they, as a couple, uh, you find out pretty quickly in the story. It's always kind of a little bit weird. It's like, what do we talk about? What do I not? Um, they've lost their daughter. And so as a couple, they've gone through the grief of having having lost a child, which I think must be the most awful and extraordinarily painful thing that couples can go through. Um, And when you first encounter her, she's not, she's not particularly anchored. I don't get the sense. I get the sense that it's very much Gordon's life that they lead. He's the the husband and um, she has her work life and stuff that she does with animals and horses that, She's pretty isolated, and she withdraws in grief, and so the Peter's character comes in and um, and helps her process it. But I think it's more, it's also, it's not just about the fact that he comes with the machine, it's also about him coming as a person into her life. And the, For sure, and thinking about the machine, Julia, and uh, as you said, you don't want to go back. Uh, I don't know. I, I would kind of want to go back, but you're telling me after this film, we see this film, don't, you wouldn't want to use this machine then. I don't know. I mean, everybody's going to have their own. Everybody's going to have their own response to it. I think what I felt was that um, that the experience is pretty intense. I mean, there's a danger in having the experience be so intense. I'm sure there is stuff that there is something though for her that she she gets a she does get a kind of she gets a moment that I think is provided by the machine that is actually really healing. So maybe I shouldn't say I wouldn't go back. I think for her it's good, but I think she also feels it's dangerous. Yeah, and that dangerous part is especially when you reveal things that maybe you'll 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 be thinking more about the past, Julia. Than you were, and it, it just it can cause a lot of uh, problems later on for sure. And yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, the The film will be released on, um, on by Google Play on August. It, it already was released on Google Play August twenty fourth, and in theaters on September eighth. So, where's the best place we can find information on you, Julie, and stuff? Where's the best place we can go? On uh, me? Yeah, on you. Um, well, I, you know, I don't really know. Um, I spend most of my time working on my nonprofit asset campaign. Um, so that's why I would direct people to asset campaign, which is the, we do work to abolish forced labor and supply chains and, and encourage companies to, uh, clean up supply chain practices and work conditions all over the world. All right. Well, Julia, thanks for calling. Best of luck. And uh, definitely, this seems very interesting. People need to definitely check it out. And I want to use the machine to go back and remember things I've forgotten. So <laughs> that that would be a fun. That would be pretty interesting. So everyone needs to check that out. And thanks again for calling, Julia. All right. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You're, you're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment.
We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, New York Times bestselling author, author of Maverick and Me, Katherine Schwarzenegger. Katherine, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Now, Katherine, growing up in a, such a high-profile family, was, I'm sure that was a challenge, but also you learned so much in that journey, haven't you? Yeah, of course. I mean, I um, I feel like I had a very normal upbringing and normal childhood, so I don't really look at, uh, you know, my experience and, and feel like it was crazy different than uh, most kids growing up. But uh, it definitely taught me a lot about, you know, following my passion and doing what, um, you know, what I love. And that's really what I think I've done with this book, Maverick and Me, is, you know, finding that I'm passionate in animal rescue and um, wanting to write a book for children to create awareness around that was really important to me. Very, very, very true. So tell us about your personal story that led to the creation of this picture book. So I uh, have always been a huge animal lover, and I started fostering puppies several years ago. And um, my last uh, foster dog uh, was Maverick, and I got him at two weeks old. And um, I saw the way kids reacted to him and the fact that you could get a dog that came with a story like his, um, he was found under a freeway, and little kids thought that that was so cool that you could get a dog that came from under a freeway. Um, and uh, so I wanted to just teach kids all about the option of animal rescue and dog adoption. So when the time comes for them to get their first dog, they might tell their parents to take them to a shelter instead of a pet store. See, and that, that's great because what I see, Catherine, is that uh, going to these places and rescuing these dogs what would happen to them if you didn't go if people don't go and adopt it's sad stories for sure yeah i mean there are a lot of sad stories of course um that you know where dogs have to be put down if they're not uh rescued just due to overcrowding in shelters but a lot of shelters are uh really amazing because they are no kill shelters so um you know sometimes dogs will wait several years to get adopted and that's where a lot of amazing foster work comes into play because, uh, you know, people take dogs in, whether they're puppies or they're, you know, five-year-old dogs or senior dogs. So there are a lot of amazing people doing great work to keep, um, to keep the animals happy. How does your faith play a part in the work that you do in caring for all of God's creation? Um, I mean, I think I just was raised, obviously, as a Catholic and um, to be able to you know, care for all God's creatures, whether that's people or animals. And so I just grew up feeling very connected to not only people, but also to animals of all different kinds. So, you know, when I was made aware of fostering and um, animal rescue, I just became very passionate about it and, and trying to be a voice for the voiceless because I don't think a lot of people take into consideration all the incredible animals that are available for adoption and um, just being made aware of them, I think, you know, hopefully will help a lot of the animals in need. In your book, you encourage readers to take part in the cause, even if they can't. What are ways that adults and kids can get involved if adoption isn't an option? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, um, I'm very aware that a lot of people aren't in a position to adopt a dog currently, but still want to help. So I wrote a letter at the beginning of my book, just telling people that if you can't adopt, there are different ways that you know, you can help um, animals, whether that's volunteering your time, um, giving, you know, different supplies. A lot of places need uh, animal supplies and dog food and, of course, donations, um, but also fostering. So if you have the ability to foster animals and take them out of shelters and be able to take them in your home temporarily, that opens up space in, uh, in shelters for more dogs to be able to come in and be given a second chance at not only life but love. Again, this is a picture book. This is new for you, definitely. And ultimately, you want you, your hope is kids walk away after reading Maverick and Me. What do you hope for? And uh, I guess also it being your first venture in a picture book. Yeah, I mean, I uh, you know this is my third book, with my first children's book that's uh, you know a picture book. So it's a different experience, but a really awesome one so far. So um, my overall goal with this book is to have, you know, kids read the book and get really excited about animal rescue and dog adoption and, um, you know, to be able to go and tell their friends and hopefully 
you know, when they decide to get a pet next, that they choose to, you know, go to a shelter or be able to rescue a dog or a cat, whatever animal it is, um, and just, again, spread awareness about the issue. How excited are you to go and, and read the book to children at different places all over the country and stuff? Is that exciting for you to, to do this? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting for me to be able to, you know, read something to kids that I've worked really hard on and that I'm, again, really passionate about. So um, that's really exciting for me. And I've always uh, not only loved animals, but loved children. And um, so for me, it's a great combination of, uh, you know, things that I love and things that I'm passionate about. So uh, I'm excited. Where's the best place we can purchase the book and learn more about you, Catherine? Where's Where's the best place we can go? Um, well, so on Tuesday, my book officially came out, so it's in bookstores everywhere now. Um, you can also order it online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. All right. Excellent. And can we follow you on social media places too as well, Catherine? Yes, you can. You can follow me on, uh, I have Instagram, Twitter, all the different forms of social media I am up to speed on. All right. Well, thanks again for calling, Catherine. Best of luck with the book, and you have a passion for animals, and keep bringing that message out to the world. So thanks again for calling. Thank you. Take care, Catherine. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening. Right, you will now be disconnected. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program from E! News correspondent Ken Baker, author of The Ken Commandments. My search for God in Hollywood. Ken, thanks for calling. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Oh, I, you know what, Ken? Uh, let's kind of go right into this, uh, the gist of things first about how you became a journalist. Almost, you said you've been covering uh, celebrity stuff for about 20 years. How did, this, how did it start for you, Ken? Well, you know, out of grad school, you know, I got my master's in journalism. I was doing newspapers at the time and uh, just on a lark, ended up coming out to Hollywood in the mid-90s. Got a gig at People Magazine as a correspondent, and that sort of set my career off into a, a trajectory as an entertainment celebrity journalist. Uh, after a stop at Us Weekly, i then uh, been at E! News for about 11 years, and it's been pretty awesome experience. Obviously, there's never a dull moment, and uh, managed to write a few books along the way and uh, stitch together um, a career. You know, it's very interesting, Ken, when you talk about a journalist and the experiences. I feel when I always interview celebrities, I learn so much, or anyone I get to interview. It's the it's a great gig to get to talk to people because you learn so much about them, and especially in the celebrity world where you might think this celebrity's a jerk or this celebrity really isn't cool or, you know, I don't want to talk to And then once you get to finally sit down and talk with them, you really learn a lot more about who they are, don't you? Well, for the most part, I mean, look, I, there are like any people or any subjects you're going to interview. Some people are just bad interviews. Yes. They don't want to give you anything or they can be hostile or, you know, have a bad attitude. They're having a bad day. And that certainly happens. But, you know, I got into journalism because I'm interested in people. I'm interested in what makes them tick. Um, I think that celebrities, they're usually a celebrity for a reason. They've, they've been able to accomplish something that got people's attention, and that usually means there's something compelling about them as a personality. And it's always interesting to kind of scratch a little the surface and find out more about them. And, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it, and uh, certainly there's always a few you know, rotten apples in the bunch. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm sure. uh, uh, for the most part, it has been a good experience, I have to say. And then think about it, Ken, when I kind of was talking about, think about the specific thing. Even if they're a jerk, you learn something new every time you talk to someone. And that's that really kind of changes your life in so many ways in a repertoire to say, oh, my gosh, I never would have thought of that. Or really, this really happened. It's, it's, it's just intriguing, I think, when I get to talk to people. Yeah, you know, and, and when I went on this, you know, spiritual journey yeah. here in Hollywood, and look, I've been doing this for 20 years. I have to admit, I mean, I hadn't really been participating in what I would call spiritual pursuits in Hollywood. I was participating in secular pursuits, going to parties, going to events, you know, going to work, being on TV every day, uh, pretty much just into your run-of-the-mill kind of Hollywood experience that we sort of know as Hollywood. And, you know, I really 
now, after working on the Ten Commandments and writing this book and everything, I really feel as though my perspective of celebrity has changed a lot. Um, and, you know, I've always had a good feel for celebrity and, and had good rapport with celebrities. But, you know, being able to worship with them, to go to their place to worship, to learn meditation with them, to, uh, you know, see their psychics and kind of get into their shoes and understand this whole spiritual uh, kind of renaissance that's happening in Hollywood right now that is illuminated in my book has been really fascinating for me because I realized, whoa, this has been going on right in front of me. Yeah. I was completely closed off to it, and it's had a lot of benefits for me personally. And that's what I, when I talk about, you get to learn so much. And this spiritual journey, so Ken, did, it changed you. So before we get into kind of the journey uh, of, I, of, I guess, of talking to these, learning from these certain celebrities and how their their faith journey and in, in specific pursuit for God, how about yourself? That's changed, right, Ken? If you're, you're kind of talking about, you learned, but it really changed you as well and from these experiences. Yeah, and, you know, to be totally honest with you, I mean, the book is sort of part memoir, part a reportage of me on this journalistic inquiry to see and experience what is uh, going on in Hollywood right now in today, a snapshot of all the spiritual pursuits. But at the core of it was my desire to, 20 years into a career in Hollywood, to see if I could use Hollywood as my, my laboratory, uh, my spiritual laboratory, to figure out what I believed, and if I could find some sense of spiritual belief, the foundation, because even though I was raised Catholic, and I always had mm -hmm. sort of a sense of God, and I had right and wrong, and I had that background as a kid growing up in Buffalo, New York, um, you know, I couldn't remember the last time I had prayed. Um, oh, wow. And then mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine who, and I tell the story in the book, um, I was Lamar Odom was in the hospital. Oh yeah, and he had gotten into a coma. You might you might yeah, remember, I remember the story. that. Yes, and uh, the story that I tell in the in the Ten Commandments is like I was talking to a Kardashian family member, and I said, "Look, is there anything I can do? I feel like I want to help out." And I was in Vegas covering this, and oh wow, I, I literally meant I'll go and get sandwiches, I'll get you okay. coffee. Okay. What can I do? And this and this family member said, "Can you pray for Lamar?" Oh my, and. I hadn't really prayed in a long time. I, you know, really wasn't that person anymore. And uh, I was like, okay, I don't think it's going to do anything, but I'll pray. Um, so I prayed, and um, two days later, he gets out of the coma. And, yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying it was because I prayed or didn't <laughs> pray, but I'm driving back to Los Angeles, and I'm wondering to myself, well, I can't say it mattered that I prayed, but I can't say it didn't matter. Right. The truth is, I have no idea. And it bothered me that I didn't really know myself spiritually to have an idea. And I want to have some sense of, well, what do I believe? And do I pray anymore? And who am I praying to? And is there a God? Wow. And I became determined to basically find my sense of God, rediscover it in the very place I had lost it, which was Hollywood. And that's the whole story that I tell in the book. And then through that pursuit, you'd run into different celebrities and their faith uh, journey and what they believe and look at a lot of different faiths, yeah. right? That's the great thing about this book, Ken, is yeah, you're not— people, Yeah, right. a lot of people opened—yeah, a lot of people opened up to me. Sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah, a lot of people opened up to me, let me inside their very private world. Uh, you know, I went to Bible study with Gwen Stefani— um, I have a whole chapter on that. Uh, I went to Scientology. I felt obligated to check it out because, you know, here's the thing. I just decided that I couldn't have a closed mind. I needed to have an open mind. I couldn't have a closed heart. I had to have an open heart because I really wanted to be open to any sort of answers. And, you know, what I've really found is that, yeah, now, a little bit of a spoiler alert, I don't become a Scientologist. Uh, but the chapter is a very interesting one, and at least after spending some time at the Scientology Center, I can give my own informed opinion from my own experience. And that was the whole idea, is that I really wanted to give things a fair shake that I had been right. closed off to, and some really beautiful things happen when you open yourself up and you just have, you know, you want to come at things just from wanting to find truth. What I've sort of realized, and maybe it's because I'm a journalist and 
or whatnot. But to me, God is truth. And, you know, if you seek answers, you ask questions, you'll get answers. And therein lies everything that you need to know. And sometimes it's just asking questions. I spent a year asking those questions and, uh, and it really took, you know, trying a lot of different things to figure out what I believe. And that meant going to Brad Pitt and Angelina psychic and not being quite sure what she was talking about (laughs) to, um, you know, having some very spiritually moving moments, learning meditation and studying spirituality with Deepak Chopra, this guy. Um, and that being a very transformative experience for me. So, uh, and also rediscovering the Bible and what that can mean in my life, uh, through going to Bible study. So, yeah, it's been a tremendous thing. I still am on a journey, but I definitely made some insights. I just hope that people who read the Ten Commandments will be like, I'm going to do my own version of, you know, the Mark Commandments or the Jill Commandments. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yes. I think, I think it's never a bad time to go on your own spirit quest to really redefine your faith, figure out what you believe. I think it provides a foundation for all of us, and I really do think that we all— inside of ourselves, even if we call ourselves an atheist. And I do talk to celebrity atheists in the book. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. You know, even if we're an atheist, we have spiritual components. Feelings. Yes, true. Uh, we are spiritual beings. And I really encourage everyone to go on their own uh, search for God. And I was very lucky to be able to do it in this book and to share it with people. And uh, uh, I happen to live in Hollywood, so that's where I did it. But you live in <laughs> Pittsburgh or you live yeah. in Ashtabula or you live in Buffalo, it doesn't matter. You can uh, you know, still find exactly. your own uh, truth and seek it out. Yes. Yeah. So the Ken Commandments is, uh, is available in all finer bookstores. Ken, where's the best place we can find information on you as well? You know, it's available on Amazon and all those places, but where's well, the best um, place we can find you? Yeah, you can go to Amazon, obviously, to the book. But you can learn more about me and my book and other books I've written at KenBakerNow.com. I'm on social media everywhere at KenBakerNow. Um, I'm on it maybe too much, so you can definitely reach out. To <laughs> you me. have to be right. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, you can go to KenBakerNow.com and, and learn more about me and my journey. And, and I hope people really enjoy the Ken commandments. And like I said, you know, it's not just about me and my story, uh, which the more I talk about it, I find it's very relatable. A lot of people do relate to that sense of being not sure what they think and kind of wish they had the time and wherewithal to explore different uh, spiritual experiences. And luckily, you know, I was able to do that and it's been a really amazing thing for me. All right, Ken, thanks for calling. Best of luck and a great, uh, story for sure. And that spiritual journey you're under and uh, especially to get to hear all these other people, people definitely need to pick up the book. Thanks again for calling Ken. Thanks. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and NeilHaley.com. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Derek and Taylor from The Bachelor in Paradise. Derek and Taylor, thanks for calling. How are you? Good morning, Neil. Great. Well, fantastic, fantastic. Now, first question goes to Derek. Did you think you were going to be able to get to to the finalist couple? Did you think it was going to happen when you first... uh, started this journey on the bachelor in paradise uh in paradise i was pretty sure i was gonna go home on day two <laughs> i drank a little too much on the first night and i was like not expecting anyone to forgive me so <laughs> but he was really sweet about it the next day he like went around and apologized to all the girls and was very apologetic for having one too many so thankful to be here now <laughs> how about you taylor did you what did you think do you think you would get this far as you're right now? No, I thought I was, I mean, I was ready to leave at any moment as soon as I felt like there was going to be any drama or I felt like if there wasn't anyone there for me. She was worried was that like, the Corinne thing was going to happen again. and so, Yeah, so I was yeah. like, that's not why I'm here. Like, if there isn't someone I'm interested in or that's interested in me back, then, like, I'll leave. I don't need to be here. So, thankfully, by the first rose ceremony, Derek and I had sparked a connection. Otherwise, I probably would have left. <laughs> <laughs> now, Derek, what did you learn from the Bachelorette to now to kind of understand and try to find love in, in certain ways from the first time to now? And how you, except the drinking problem. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the 
funny thing is I don't really drink that much, so yeah. that's really what it was. It was that very was, apparent that he didn't drink very much. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't used to that, to the, you know. But, um, I mean, the biggest thing for me was the first time around, I was so nervous to be on camera and, like, so worried about how to handle myself and how is this going to happen. And so this time around, it's just, like, a lot more comfortable and, mm-hmm. and way more fun because – it's not more uh, of a relaxed environment. Yeah, we're just hanging out on the beach versus, you know, like being stuck in hotel rooms with the same people. The first time, you know, it's, it's a bunch of guys who are basically trying to beat each other up and yeah. like cavemen drag the girl back to their <laughs> oh <my> cave. God. <laughs> and so this was more like a bunch of friends on the beach, which was way more fun. <laughs> and and I'm sure you, the same thing for you, Tim, from The Bachelor season 21 and the, the, the issue with Nick to now, what do you think you're doing differently, is, especially this, uh, to uh, find Derek on this show and, and seeing uh, how you need to kind of interact in a way? Same thing on camera at first from doing The uh, Bachelor, things have been different in this way? Would you say? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely learned a lot about myself from doing Bachelor, a lot of very tough but important life lessons, I think, um, I'd say almost kind of the opposite of Derek, just in that going on Bachelor, the cameras didn't really bother me. I was very uncensored and unfiltered. And going into Paradise, I was a lot more tentative with the things I said and was a lot more scared and filtered. Um, but when it came to, you know, cultivating that connection, I was, like, very open-minded to that. Um, and... You know, Derek wasn't someone that I went in, like, wanting to meet at all. In fact, it was the opposite. (laughs) I kind of wanted to avoid him. Um, But just staying open-minded to having that possible connection with anyone, I think, helped. So, Taylor, why, why, uh, why Derek? What, 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 you said that wasn't the kind of person you were looking for when you got on the the show. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just... You know, he wasn't, there was, like, things with a mutual friend, and he just wasn't someone that, like, I was, A, expecting to even like or be attracted to, and then, you know, I was kind of slightly mean to him at first. He was trying to play volleyball with me, and I was like, can I get a different teammate? Like, I don't want you on my team. (laughs) Um, But once we first started talking, we were literally in a cabana for like three hours talking and that was so refreshing compared to the conversations I had been having with everyone else so it just really made him stand out and then from that conversation it was just a lot of of talking (laughs) that we did yeah Derek do you think that's important part is really getting to connect with a woman is talking to them to see if you have similar interests and certain paths and ideas you think that's an important part of it well, it's boring to say, but I'm very interested in, in like, strong, in, in smart women. So I, that's, like, was my test is, is like, is she going to throw, you know, some BS back at me when I make some sarcastic jokes? Which, as we know, she was like, uh, can I get a different partner for volleyball? <laughs> so she, like, uh, right there, I already knew that she was, like, a tough cookie. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she's just very indulgent, and that's super sexy to me, so... That was that was the important thing that you know happened through our conversations that I saw very quickly. And I think like communication is one of the. She's most gonna tell you how things. smart she is right now. I think. No, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> no, just our our style of communication has definitely been something that's been shown on the show, and I think you know how you communicate with one another in a relationship is extremely important. I mean, it can make or break you know whether or not you're happy or that the relationship is successful so i mean thankfully we had a lot of time in paradise to talk and get to know each other you know we're around each other uh constantly so and make out too. yeah a lot of make out <laughs> up until the fantasy suites which is on monday, monday yeah. <laughs> where we finally stopped talking for a little bit <laughs> and that'll be so and, and i guess the talking communication for people guys out there if you want to pull a girl like Taylor, you have to make sure that you listen. Is Derek a good listener? Yes. Because that's important. He is. No, he's an incredible listener. He's so patient. Um, he, like, mindfully listens to everything I say and is always very what? engaged. 
<laughs> always engaged in our conversations. So Literally. it makes a huge difference. And Derek, where did you learn that? Because many guys don't listen to their women. So that's another tip out there, guys. If you listen to your wo- your woman and you listen to their needs and wants, you're going to be a happy guy, right, Derek? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can listen. You just don't always have to do what they want. <laughs> if, I, if that was the case, I would be like, Taylor Taylor would want breakfast in bed every day. She's, you know. <laughs> I don't already get that. <laughs> you pretty much do. Um, no, I don't I don't know. I, I you know, my mom is like a, is a strong figure in my mm-hmm. life. I'm a mom and boy. So, um, because of that, you know, she like is very, she, communication is very important to her. And I think part of that comes from like one of her, she's a teacher and, and one of her like best teacher friends always used to say, communication is the key to healthy relationships. There's your little health teacher. It is. Your little health teacher. <laughs> I agree. And so... <laughs> So, you know, that's, like, always been in my head. Yeah. Well, Derek, it's 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 good to be a mama's boy because you'll find the right girl at one point, and we'll find out again if you guys are going to win. Tune in Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, ABC. But can we follow you guys social media-wise? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.